because the hardest time I think is to come back when you have a new baby. And they made my job so challenging and demanding that I knew why I was here and then why I was choosing to be here. So I think part of it was the opportunity General Mills presented me with and then supported me through. Welcome to Create New Futures, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders to explore how you create a new future for you and for your organization. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Colleen Sukup, Chief Procurement Officer and Supply Chain Transformation Leader at General Mills. Colleen is responsible for global sourcing of all categories, and in her second role, she leads the transformation of supply chain to make it as agile and as future-ready as can be. I have initially collaborated with Colleen when she took the CPO role some six years ago, and recently we collaborated again as she developed with her team the next five-year horizon vision and strategy. Colleen is both a focused operational leader and a great people leader. She has a way of bringing in people their best ideas and creating an environment where all team members can express their best talent. So I'm delighted to have Colleen here today. Colleen, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you, Aviv. I'm excited to have this conversation. What did I miss in this introduction? I think the only aspect I would bring in, because I think it's an important part of it, is I'm also a mother and wife and work at a place that has allowed me to be a mother, a wife, and a successful business person. So I feel like uh, you only talk about half of me when you talk about just the business side. So I would uh, tell you I've had many lessons from the other half also. That's awesome. You're a whole person and the, the beauty that uh, we can explore is, is how to actually create a career like this and, and specifically, what is it about General Meals that enabled you to uh, lead a career like this? But let me first dive in by asking you, of all the things you do at work, what do you enjoy the most? So I like learning. Um, so um, I've discovered over time that I'm a lifelong learner. Um, and in my job, there is something new to do every day in some aspect, particularly as I've gotten more global, some aspect of culture, context, or ways of doing business that has kept me engaged, excited, and still learning. So I think that I boil my job down to any day where I get to do something different, think differently about some opportunity or learn something different about General Mills, our people, or how we're doing business across the globe um, is a good day. So I'm lucky in that I've been here a long time and I'm still learning. That keeps me highly energized and engaged. What would be an example of a recent learning that energized you, whether it's about the business or about the people or about your role or about anything? Yeah, so probably um, this is not going to be a rocket science one, but I thought it was very impactful. We started a, a transformation of moving from region to global, and we developed a very specific source-to-pay process. We trained people on the source-to-pay we told them how to do their work, how they needed to work together, and went through it in three stages. And the first stage, very much focused on the process and the ways of working. And when I kicked off the second wave, my reflection was, even though we taught everybody the same thing um, and the same process and protocol, some were very successful with it and some had struggled. And like I said, not rocket science, but it it highlighted that it really was all about leadership, um, not about the process and, and uh, not about the capabilities and not about the source to pay. Some people took the source to pay process and 
engaged and built teams and were successful. Some took the source to pay process in teams and struggled. And so from then on, I talked way more about leadership and um, change and connecting more than I talked about the standards and the processes. Um, so I think that learning, uh, despite having all this, all this ways of working and getting even more detailed and specific, boy, leadership is still a critical uh, factor of success when you're trying to build teams and when you're trying to lead change. Indeed, this is a, a fascinating insight um, and uh, very much uh, can be corroborated by my experience and, and how we approach the work we, we do. The, the foreground shapes the background and the background shapes the foreground. So we work on business issues and through that, we're able to build a whole new level of collaboration in the organization and we also discovered that the best way to update and download new ways of working together is also by looking at business problems. So that, that is a, an important insight about transformation because it's not that there, there is no relevance to doing other organizational and team exercises, but they are always more effective when you do them in the context of the business issues you're trying to solve because people are driven by intent, by purpose, and by meaning of the work they do. So that, that's what I heard in what you're describing. Yeah, I, I think change is imminent, right? And so the, those that see it as an opportunity to shape and lead versus an opportunity to fight and to criticize. One is way more rewarding than the other. And I found it interesting who stepped into that opportunity to shape and lead and define versus those who sat back and, and, and were not as excited and, and therefore in some regard don't bring their participation and their great ideas to, to making it happen, which is uh, unfortunate, but I saw enough of the great energy. And then those that figure it out um, they're forever changed. Um, they now believe they can take ambiguity and direction without specifics and lead and shape people towards something that's different. And I've seen muscle and, and capability grow in people that sort of looked at, at change and embraced it and decided to shape it versus sit back and decide if they want to join it. Wow, that's just um, such an important uh, distinction and a differentiator in, in the work environment. And we often, and we talked about it with, with your team, I, I believe last time we met this clear realization, clear distinction. You cannot just do your job. I mean, you used to be able to just do your job, but these days you, you need to do job two and, and job three, which is job two is transform your work. If job one is do the work, job two is transform the work, and job three is transform you yourself that is very much where you started where you said i am a person energized by learning so as long as i'm continuing and learning new ideas new ways of looking at problems and, and new ways to move an organization forward i'm growing and therefore everything else will continue to transform and evolve that that is just such a different i will call it operating system than showing up to work to merely execute what's been decided before and, and follow the brief. Yeah, I recently heard, I think it was Microsoft that says they, they've transformed from a know-it-all to learn-it-all. Uh -huh. um, and, and that really struck me because if I think about a know-it-all, I've done it, there's nothing I can learn, seems so limiting versus I can learn more. And there's got to be different ways and better ways to do things. And so I just think about that is even as you engage your teams, a know-it-all would be um, somewhat stifling. And, and, and we can learn it all is empowering and um, confidence um, in the ability for others to learn. It's a great framing. You talked about being able to lead a career like this with a senior role and being a mother and a wife too. So what, what are some learnings? from A, what enabled you to develop the, the arc of your career in, in this way and, and somehow uh, live and, and uh, create a whole person, a whole 
balanced you you may say <laughs> you may argue with the point of balance but i i will assume that that you've been able to to hold all these plates spinning all at the same time and what what, what are some key learnings and key insights about uh, that journey um well for sure it's a team sport so um i i have to point at general mills allowing me to do both I was, I think, a bit of a pioneer. I've been here 37 years, so it was one of the few that would take a maternity leave in my early days and actually come back. So I think General Mills allowing me to grow and flourish. Two of the four times I came back from my four children, I came back to promotions, which I think speaks to um, forward thinking of, um, yes, yes, you have a potential and, and we're we're betting on you coming back and, and doing something despite maybe personal commitments. And they were absolutely very wise because the hardest time I think is to come back when you have a new baby. And they made my job so challenging and demanding that I knew why I was here and then why I was choosing to be here. So I think part of it was the opportunity General Mills um, presented me with and then supported me through. And then I've been lucky to have a husband, a mother, and father-in-law, and various people that have supported and made it a community to raise my children. And so I feel really blessed that um, I was able to participate in the way I did, but also uh, keep my career going. And somewhere along the line, and I don't know why, I figured out I had a brake and an accelerator on my career. And I had to be comfortable putting the brake on sometimes when, you know, there was too many children at a certain, under a certain age or et cetera, I, I got comfortable with braking, but not getting out of the car and having that conversation that, hey, I have enough right now. I'm learning, I'm developing, I'm engaged, but don't give me more. And sometimes they listened and sometimes they didn't. But I think that the deciding to stay in the car and using acceleration and, and a break uh, as I needed, it was super important to me. Um, and allowed me to sort of flex in and flex out as I needed to, both mentally and physically. So I would say great support all around me and some willingness to be courageous about using acceleration and brakes. Well, the the metaphor of the car works great because in addition to the accelerator and the brake, you, you do have the steering wheel yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, so, so yeah. That, that's why it works. I'm, I'm curious, what would you say your children say and feel about your exampleship and, and the way you have led your, your career, not necessarily just each and every one of them, but in the aggregate, what, what's the impression? What's the legacy that uh, you've created for them? That's a good question. I don't know that I've answered that. I think in general, they're very proud that I've been able to um, achieve something that was a lifelong career, being very successful. So I, I do know that they um, see that and acknowledge that and understand maybe not all the nuances, but that um, women don't often get to these places easily. So mm -hmm. I think all of them would acknowledge that and be proud of that. I think they would say I've worked really hard and that would be true. Um, so I think they would say the high level of work ethic but I think I also would say that they would say I participated in their lives pretty actively. So I would think they would say it was fairly balanced. Um, but I haven't ever asked that question. So I don't know if that would be their, their two cents. I do know they're very proud of me and they're, they, they get excited when I advance or do something different. Um, and they're very um, gracious about sharing my excitement. Um, but I don't know if they would say there's been times they wish I would showed up more differently. Um, I'll, I hope not, but uh, I've never asked it. Yeah, yeah, very nice. But that sense of pride is, is uh, special. Yeah. When you came to the CPO role, you were known as a successful operator, successful operational leader. And when they needed something to be done, they always knew that Colleen would get it done. Uh, so... Then you came into this role, the CPO role. How did this role change you as a leader? Yeah, oh, that's such a good question. So um, it's interesting when I first came into this role, they said, do you want to coach and what do you want to coach for? And I said, you know, I want to do the job for a year before 
I asked for coaching because I'm not sure what I would have been coached on at a director is the same coaching I'm going to need as as a a leader now. And it wasn't. Um, So I, I of course, could get the operational side down. I've been here long enough. I, I know how to get work done. I think the surprising thing for me, and maybe not surprising, but um, was that I needed to really work on my communication and prioritization and um, that side of it. And I think actually it started me on the future vision work because I, I realized as, you know, when you're the person that talks and there's a lot of people listening, what you say can't be about how you feel that day necessarily or something you just thought up overnight. It has to be more directional, more visionary, more um, enthusiastic. One well, enthusiastic is the wrong word, but but motivating and encouraging. And um, I realized, you know, I was going from activity to activity, problem and solution, and I might weave that into my story versus getting a really strong drum beat about what was important to me, what is important to our organization, and where we needed to go. And it really that aspect of it um, led to a year of working on my communication, which really was then, well, what's your message Um, as much as it was how you did it. And so that really started with, gosh, I want to have a compelling vision and I want a compelling story for people to uh, attach themselves to and, and feel the impact they're making. And that really started some of the early vision work. So I guess if I think back to the, what shaped me was, making sure I was working on my uh, backhand a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And in that, I think it started to evolve, not just the what skill set do I need, but something broader, which is, you know, who do I want to be? And the skill set got me there versus, um, you know, I went thinking about I needed communication. And what I realized is, no, I needed actually to have a better story and a more robust way to talk all the time about what we need to achieve. And so, a bit of a divergence off what I thought I needed, but I think I was on the right track. Telling a story, being clear about the message of the story and and weaving a story that will enable the people engaging with you in your organization to find themselves inside the story. Correct. You also said the other element was priorities. How did you work on priorities and what was the sense of that? Was that in, in the context of being able to to both look at the strategic long term and and the the near term what we call horizon three and and uh, and then translate that into horizon two and horizon one or was it a, a different uh, altogether exercise no I think that's definitely part of it you know being a lifelong learner you may send an organization after lifelong learning activities versus direction just based out of interest. Um, So I wanted to be more careful with what I initiated and what I started. And uh, yet at the same time, I wanted to advance and and move our organization forward. So I think the priorities more were were, um, some discipline on my part about making sure I was pointing people towards a, a forward position that was that I wanted them to, to start thinking about versus just one that I read recently and was more topical. So it was a bit more of a discipline on myself to say, just because I read something and it's interesting, doesn't mean I should send an organization after it. Right. Um, and therefore my words are, or were important and my direction was important. I don't think I needed to direct, but I wanted to make sure when I called out a coordinate, we wanted to get to that people understood that, um, there's freedom to getting there, but you know we wanted to sort of get to that to that to that landscape or horizon three, as you mentioned. Yeah, this describes the importance of being thoughtful, being intentional, and being outcome driven as a leader. Uh, yes, because, because as you said, you you can get interested in in one thing or another, and it's very easy to bring it up and. And before you know it, you have a whole group of people doing their the late night shift, producing slides because Colleen had an idea <laughs> that she thought about. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that could happen. Yes. Theoretically, yes. Yeah. Yes. What's been also fascinating for me in, in observing during our recent collaboration, the, the work with you and with your team was that my general... Outlook says that about three or four out of five 
senior executives, when they come to the role, they are already more or less fashioned. And you see them largely applying the muscles that enable them to get to where they now find themselves. The, the one out of the five is, is more the exception. And it was my impression that as you are now validating that you deliberately looked at the role, looked at the opportunities, engaged with self-inquiry, with, with self-awareness to discover what strength you needed to use and, and where did you need to expand and as you're describing, build a, a more disciplined communication and, and also uh, the way it appeared in our recent uh, work together was trusting the process and leaning into ambiguity, knowing that that is actually how we get to unleash the greatest creativity in people. So what would you restate or do you agree with, with this that you're actually in this, I would say the 15, 20% that evolve in their role as, as you already shared, but the majority don't. They actually use muscles that enable them to get to where they, they, where they are. Yeah. Oh boy. I, I hope I've, I've grown a, a lot. Frankly, my uh, biggest fear when I took on this role is that I wouldn't have everything our organization would need to be successful. And I think I shared that with the team. They said, what's your, you know, what's keeping you awake? And, and, and I said, you know, I want to be the leader this organization needs at the right time. And I do think there's time for, for many different styles and connections. And um, I think I was, I'd like to look look back and say I probably came at the right time um, to be both an operator, but also somebody that can embrace and, and looks forward to, to shaping change. But I, I think you're, when you talk about, you know, the process or um, the ambiguity and the connections and how was I thoughtful or not thoughtful, really, when I think about our vision as we started it, I had more themes in mind. Um, one was which we wanted to be a community of connections because I'm a personal person. I like, I'm an extrovert. I like to, to, to know the people I work with. And having a global organization, I knew that was going to be challenging. So I wanted to make sure that our organization had connections no matter where they sat and wanted to model that connectivity in a modern world. Um, so I do think that that was an intentional piece of how I wanted to lead. And, and that was a development for me because I was used to seeing people face-to-face and influencing through relationships. And this pushed me to say, I got to figure out how to connect and lead and inspire beyond what I can see. And so that was definitely a development I had to figure out how to do. And then I do think um, probably my biggest growth and development was in what you said I allowed to happen, but it was the clearer I got about the future, not specifically, but directionally, the more I found the organization started filling in the blanks. I like to say we uh, crowdsourced our vision and people came forward with bigger, bolder ideas. And, you know, I wouldn't have, would have imagined. And I think the growth for me was making sure I kept this, the direction far enough ahead to allow that to happen. And then encouraging others to be bold and, and, and forthcoming with their ideas and their energy. And I think um, those were things I probably would have tried to direct in the past versus try to create an environment for them to happen. Um, that definitely was an evolving of how I did work and how I led, for sure. This is a big idea as far as I'm concerned with leadership, what you're framing there about directional clarity and one that is free of the need to have detailed directives about everything. And that is part of the evolution of a leader, actually being comfortable in that space where you you have a very strong intuition and, and sense directionally of where the organization is going. And you actually enjoy that it, it's not fully articulated on every aspect because that is where the opportunity to bring your people into the equation and, and make it a, a co-creative, co-owned endeavor uh, arises. So that, that, that is a very important big idea for, for leaders. What are some other guiding principles shaped your approach to developing your organization? So, um, as I said, just some obvious things like how do we connect differently? How do we have a better um, inspiring uh, vision that people can connect to either because they built it or because it, it 
personally motivates them. I had to evolve how I led. So in all this, and I think you actually said this to me once, you know, there's a time to lead from the front and a time to lead from behind and a time to lead by the side. And I found um, that was a, a bit of a different model for me. I um, wanted to always lead from the front. I'm comfortable leading from the front, but that idea of um, actually how rewarding it is to set people on their path and then watch them flourish and, and, and seeing that from behind is, um, was quite rewarding. Um, knowing when people need you to walk by them and knowing when, you know, the conversation or the topic or the solution has to be somebody that stands in front and, and moves us forward. So I think that would be one of those learnings for me was that I thought leadership was top down. And um, once you're in the role, first of all, you can't, can't do everything top down, but uh, frankly, there were better ideas in the ranks sometimes than, than mine. And so learning how to flex that muscle was super important to me. And, and uh, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. That's still my lifelong journey, probably, because I uh, like to, to fix things. But leading from behind and by the side of others have been probably the most rewarding thing I've done in my career. And a gift, frankly, to see some of those lean into that opportunity. Um, so that would be probably my next key learning was having a, a great team that took the opportunity that I was allowing them or pushing me to take that opportunity. And, and uh, they, take, they took us much further than even I could see. Well, talking about a great team, in our recent meeting, I think there were about 40 people in the room. And what impressed me was... Not only that, I, if I remember correctly, about half or more were women. There was also every other aspect of diversity that, that I can think of present in the room, not just in terms of background diversity or nationalities diversity. There was also diversity of thinking styles and, and expression styles and diversity of personalities and diversity in terms of point of views and, and voice and all these are factors in creating a high-functioning, strong team when you're truly enabling those different aspects of diversity to merge into a, a unified, unified effort. How did you go about cultivating such a diverse team? What were some of the deliberate inquiries and strategies that you implemented to pull together a, a team like like this? Yeah, well, that's a great question. So first of all, I've only played team sports. So I believe in the power of, of a team very, very strongly. So I know what it looks like to um, sit on a team and both lead the team or support in different aspects of it. So I value that that activity strongly. So I, I think I, I think of most things as how do I make sure I engage and understand and do as everyone know the game we're playing. So I think um, that's just a personal bias and experience out of my years of playing sports. So I, I do think I have an aspect of that that's in me. And then I think from there, um, honestly, I don't know if it's anything more magical than I appreciate different voices. I, I like I said, I'm a lifelong learner. I believe others that have done things different than I, I'm going to learn something from it. We purposely went out and looked for differential talent um, with different experience because I didn't think we had it or I had it. So it was more about building a full-fledged opportunity for us to be successful by having different expertise, different backgrounds. And as it starts to gel and you see the power of it, it it's not hard to get um, excited about what it can be. And certainly all that has come to life. And so um, I feel quite excited about the team um, and, and they're incredibly resourceful and resilient because they've gone through a lot of change and um, are stronger for it and um, enjoying seeing that aspect of their leadership sort of come to the forefront and you know as as a business world that's very dynamic i feel like our team is is better poised and comfortable and confident leading change or ambiguity because we've done that over the past three to four years 
And General Mills is really quite a unique company in the sense that many people care deeply about the company and, and about each other at work. What, what is this? What, what creates this culture and sense of passion? And what um, someone uh, once said to me, people care here even too much. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. Whatever it is, I would like to bottle it. It is uh, definitely a commitment to doing the right things as a company and as people and for each other. And I've only really known General Mills, but everyone who comes here would say there's a deep thread of um, commitment to something bigger, um, whether it's our sustainability or how we engage our own and empower employees. But for sure, it's special. It's been special to me. It's been uh, great for me, but I've enjoyed the people. I'm proud of who we are as a company. I'm uh, proud of what we stand for. So I think that 153 years of who we are is just sort of woven into it. And, and as we bring in new people, we weave them in. And uh, I think we have a really good development muscle. We prize and value leadership. And so we're always talking about how to lead and develop others. And I think that just starts to say there's a lot of really talented people that come here that are willing to be leaders. And I think that just, you know, it's like a rock in a water. It creates ripples. And it's just a team that I have always felt like we always have really good people um, wanting to do the right things for the most part. Is and the, I don't know anything different. Is the Minneapolis uh, winter a factor uh, in the fact that you get to experience minus 40 during the winter? Uh, generally, that makes for sturdy and resilient people. So I, I know this is a generalized statement, but I, I, I wonder if that is part of the ecosystem that, that creates um, that spirit that you experience? That's a great question. I don't know that. But, you know, I, I can't imagine 153 years ago bringing weed up and down the Mississippi was an easy job. So maybe, yeah, maybe that's the, that was started at day one um, and, and exists today. Tracing to the beginning of your journey for a bit, um, what inspired you when you were growing up? Um, so I am a um, child of an entrepreneur. Um, my dad owns a drugstore and uh, it was his grandpa's or my grandpa's, I should say. So he was second generation. So I grew up in business. I knew nothing different. Um, I did all kinds of things at the store wrapping presents at Christmas, pouring coffee, um, counting money in the register, filling card rack, Hallmark card racks. Um, so I grew up loving business. Um, mm. My dad will tell you uh, and my mom that, you know, I sold seeds uh, to buy a guitar. Um, I wanted to have a booth myself at crazy day sales, sidewalk sales. So I, I grew up on knowing business was just who I was and knew nothing different. So I, I think the inspiration came from I was a, I had a family of entrepreneurs and business people. And that's what I wanted to be. And I don't think I ever really wavered from that from a very, very early age. So I would say that that work ethic and love of business was just I don't know, um, woven into me at an early stage. The power of um, those early formative influences. And, and so how did you then start your career? How did you approach starting a career? I went to a school in, in Minnesota, so left um, Nebraska and came to school here. And I was actually the second class of women in a school um, locally, which was the uh, University of St. Thomas. And, you know, things happen differently, but that was actually a really good training ground to be the second class of women in a, in a previously all-male school. That was really good learning for my first few years in the business world, frankly, where there wasn't a lot of me in management roles. There wasn't a lot of women leaders to look to. So I often look at that as that was a really good training ground for transitioning into the business world my first step in the business world and um, being successful uh, was I was able to sort of understand the environment and figure out how to be successful in it. I was lucky in that I had similar 
interest to a lot of my counterparts. I like sports. I grew up playing sports. So I had some of the foundational things until our world um, began to change and be a bit more balanced um, on gender. But I had some early uh, skills that came through my childhood um, that allowed me to be successful early or at least be able to, you know, join the conversation and, and, and be part of it. I think over time, to be honest, I started to figure out, you know, that I could assimilate, but I wanted not to assimilate and be myself. And um, that was my journey to figure out, okay, how to be a mother and a woman and say I'm interested in shoes versus um, last night's game and uh, still be seen as being authentic and real and approachable and engageable. And so I just have to say it was a journey of um, deciding that, who I am is much easier <laughs> yep. to be than assimilating to be successful. And over time, that's become obviously more, uh, more, um, more the norm. Um, and I didn't have to look for permission to do that. I just be started to become more um, comfortable in my own skin and realize that that was, that was good enough. And it just was a different version of success than maybe I saw early in my career. That's just um such a powerful articulation, Colleen, of finding that sense of authenticity and being true to yourself and that you don't need to be someone else or somebody else in, in the circumstance at, at work because so many people do feel that they need to try to become somebody other than themselves. But then, of course, when you do that, you separate yourself from, from your strength, from what nourishes you, from your values and all those things. So, is there a particular, was there a particular moment or, or event that crystallized that awareness for you, or it was more the case of a gradually coming into your own and, and finding your voice along the journey? So I, I would tell you, I always had a, um, as I got into leadership roles, a heightened awareness that at many points I was maybe the first woman or there hadn't been a woman before. So there was a heightened awareness on my part of making sure I showed up true so that others could show up true. So I would say, you know, like small things like, oh, school's starting this week. I'm not going to call 8 a.m. meetings um, because I know how hard that is, in, in, you know, for any parent to make it in when there's a lot of restructuring going on in your personal life. But I think that maybe the one that brought it home the most was I had, we were at a, a, a meeting and, and it was kind of locally, but offsite. And a person that's on my team kind of came in a little shook. Um, her husband was traveling and her babysitter, whatever, there was um, uh, one of her children was sick. And she says, but it's okay. She's there. It's fine. And I could tell it wasn't fine. And yet, she was in a point of her career. I think she was like, I can't leave this. This is an important meeting. People are going to judge me if I leave. And I said, no, you're not fine. And I'm insisting that you go home. If things are good, come on back. If they're not, don't worry about it. But I insist that you go home. I'm not letting, you know, it's fine. Go. I, I don't think it is fine. And um, this person cried, which then I kind of felt bad about because I thought, boy, I didn't mean to. And then the next day it was, no, you gave me permission to do what I wanted to do. And so it was a, a reminder to me where I had sen a, a heightened sensitivity that I, I'm, I was trotting that first pass for many and I needed to make sure that I was really me because only I would know what it was like to be a mother when a, with a sick child. If um, Because I was a mother with a sick child, I was one that maybe saw something just from my perch of trying to be at home and be at important meetings and et cetera. So I, I, I think that was the moment where I thought I can't afford not to be caring about all the things that I always have and maybe have hid or didn't know if I should bring them forward. So I just got much bolder about those conversations and trying to make it an environment where people were judged on the results and et cetera, not, not some of the nuances that maybe I grew up knowing were important, but I didn't really believe. Um, and I just think I got better at sort of sorting and representing and modeling. Um, these are things that are important. And I have you, as long as you're performing and delivering, don't worry about some of these things that maybe um, were really not as important, even though we told, told ourselves they were. 
it's a special, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. that was sort of the aha to me. It just was a call for action to, to sort of lead the way that I really wanted and believed I should and just wasn't always making sure I was doing. Yeah, it's a powerful story. And life is made out of those special moments where you make a different choice, where you listen to that, that instinct that says now, this is the right thing to do in, in at this point, this in this situation and, and tell this person, no, you should go home and, and attend to what matters most. So the, the other question that surfaces through this is, what would you describe as, as another important influence or important moment in the integration of those two sides of leadership for you, which is the people side, which you just talk to, and the other side, which is the business side, delivering the numbers, delivering on your commitments, actually making the rigorous decisions to lead an organization to deliver sometime in, in tough, difficult market conditions. So this capacity to integrate the human side of leadership and the business side, but what shaped, what enabled you to, to integrate these well? So um, probably the most current is sort of is that uh, our global journey. And I think for me, the, the business side was I truly believed we were not operating at, at our potential, that our potential um, was not unknown or unfashioned. In fact, other companies had gone there. We just hadn't based on a lot of business structural things over time. Um, so I, I, I just had a deep-seated belief that we could deliver more value to the businesses. And then I went after what would that look like? What could it be? And, and frankly, got fairly fearless about we need to do this fast. We don't need to convince everybody. We just need to start delivering differently, showing up differently. So for me, it was just uh, deep down belief in our organization to drive bigger value than it was, but it needed some foundational things to change or look different to accomplish that. And, you know, bringing some new people in that have done it before in different places helped us speed it through. Investing in some foundational work was an accelerator for us also. So for me, it was, I think, just a deep belief that we could do better and deliver more and show up better, but we needed to equip our organization across the globe um, with a better foundation and some clearance from our senior leaders to start operating differently. And once all those were in place, lo and behold, uh, you know, the team really elevated itself and has performed phenomenally and, and the business is enjoying, you know, the fruits of that, that labor. So that's been as clear as anything I've seen um, uh, where we wanted to go. I'm not saying it wasn't hard work because it, it was very hard work, but uh, I, I just, I knew we could do more for um, our businesses and supporting them. And I knew there was a better operating model would, that would get that out of our sourcing team. What other teachable learnings from this global transformation would you distill? Well, the, the couple of things that I've had a few people sort of, um, Point at you didn't talk about how much foundational work we did a lot of foundational work, but we didn't lead with that because it tends not to be exciting or innovative or you know necessarily um, value driven. But we did take care of our foundation uh, first, and I think that was really critical to our success. But um, you know, more happenstance, we didn't lead with that. We led with here's the results. We believe we can deliver. And our two stage was more about what we would bring. But I think having the coalescing it that we needed to build foundational stuff was really a critical learning. So it's hard to build off of uh, sand, that is true. Um, and so taking care of the foundation, I think is always a good start. That would be one thing that I would tell anybody on a change journey, you can leapfrog a lot of things, but a foundation is still a foundation. And then I really think learning the change management piece is, you know, boy, that's a lifelong learning opportunity. And when I, when I think of change, I mean the communication, constant communication of where we're going, why we're going, what your role in, is in what we're going is you can't, I, you can't communicate too much. 
I think that's been one of my learnings is communicate, communicate, communicate. And then I have one that I believe strongly in is the pause in the midst of a lot of change in the midst of chaos and taking the pause is I think a super important aspect and just doing a couple things, whether it's celebrating wins, uh, reassessing priorities, um, relooking at what needs to be done, but somehow carving out time to pause and, and take a deep breath and just reassess is I think super important also. And every pause I ever took, I got something out of that I think uh, assured a better journey, either um, with different people or with different endpoints or um, augmenting what we were doing or with better communication. So those are things that I'll take in my change uh, um, toolbox as I move into other change um, areas. And you mean when you talk about pause, you mean both at a personal level and collectively with a team, correct? C- correct. Yeah. Yes. Can I tell a story? So I uh, sure. saw, saw a, uh, went to a, um, a guy who trained dogs in Ireland, um, just happened to kind of go off one of the side roads and, and he did a demonstration where the, the border collie goes up in the hill brings all the sheep down. Um, and he talked about, you know, there's nothing there. So how he used the dog and I, they had puppies out and the puppies would respond to the pause, the stop where they would lay down and listen. And they were like eight weeks old. And so I was saying, wow, I can't believe the puppies can already do the, you know, pause. And he said, well, are you kidding? That's the most important thing to teach the dogs. Mm. And I looked at him and I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, Usually a good dog, if they're meant to be a sheep herder, they know whether they should go left or right. You just have to get them to pause and think about what they should do next. Hmm. And I took that home and I have thought about that so many times of the right folks actually know what to do. You just have to get them to stop and think about it. And so I I believe in the power of the pause, um, both personally and professionally. And uh, it is definitely needed in in change in a rapidly uh, dynamic world. Yeah, and it also says there is much we can learn from dogs, from horses, and and yeah, there is a lot. Shepherds, and yes, yes. So with all that you know today, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? Oh, geez. I think I'm like most people would tell my 25-year-old self not uh, not to worry as much to get to my instincts and authentic self faster. I would tell them, you're not going to believe what you're going to be able to do. That hard work pays off and you'll have no idea how hard you'll work, but how rewarding it is. Mm. And um, worry less and enjoy more and get to you sooner. I think those would be the, the words I would tell my 25 year old self. That's great. If you were to lose all that you know and keep only two ideas or only two capabilities or only two practices, what would you keep? Connections, um, how important connections are. I think I, no matter what I do, I, I feel like I couldn't operate or be successful without connecting with others. So I think connections would be probably at the forefront. So um, that desire to hear, see, and do what others no. And then I guess I do it as a trick is that taking that learning side with me because a bit of humbleness and learning, I think they go together. If, if you believe you know it all, um, you're not learning. And so I guess the ability to think I still have more to learn, um, despite 37 years of experience, um, I would hope I would never learn um, or lose that work in progress mindset. Um, so I think the the learning agility and, and the ability to connect with people would probably be my two things I would hope I would never lose. Wonderful. Thank you, Colleen, uh, for this uh, rich exploration. As we bring this to landing, and I've seen you often at, at the end of a session uh, bring poetry. So you, you can choose to bring poetry, <laughs> poetry into this now, but I, I, in, a, in a broader, more open way, open-ended way, what parting wisdom uh, would you want to offer to people listening to Create New Futures? Well, I think, and I, you probably did this at one or many of the, the ones that I was at. Uh, I, I've come to appreciate that, you know, working at a 153-year-old company, this company, um, it's just 
I'm a chapter in its story, not the story. And um, I hope I've left it better than I started. And, and my and I hope that people see me as leaving a torch for them to carry forward, not you know a heavy bag, but um, light. Uh, those would be my poetry moments of uh, I hope I left it better than I came and people and excited about the future as and when I leave General Mills, um, that's what I'll be remembered for. Yeah, and, and I'd, I'd lend with uh, this thought that what you offer there is a whole mindset that we largely lost in the short-term hysteria of this, uh, this, this day and age. But uh, when we look back, reflect back in history, you'd have one generation beginning to build a cathedral, recognizing that only the fourth generation down the line, they would actually be able to walk into that cathedral. So being able to see our work and what we do every day as, as part of a larger relay race is, is a powerful idea, is a powerful thought. Thank you. Thank you, Aviv. Here we are. We've landed this Create New Futures journey, and it's your time to take action, to create your new future. Here are a few steps you can take this week. First, Colina identifies herself as a lifelong learner. She's energized by learning every day, learning about the business, learning about her organization, and about how to be more impactful. How are you committing yourself to learning and growing? What will you do this week to surface and capture and apply learning? How will you make learning an integral part of your everyday work? Second, Colleen observed that shaping and leading change is much more fun and rewarding than objecting and resisting change. And we know that what you resist tends to persist and to produce stress and even dis-ease. What opportunities are available for you this week to example and to embody leading and shaping change? How will you help your team decide where do they want to stand and whether they choose to swim and navigate the river of change or try to block the river only to be overwhelmed by it? This is a choice we each make every day. Thirdly, Colleen pointed that to lead a whole life, one that includes a high-intensity career, being a spouse and raising a family, and do all that while you continue to learn and grow and evolve, that this is a community effort. Implicit in this idea is the realization that to become a community and cultivate such mutual support and help is a lifetime journey of many efforts and many deposits of care, of love, of devotion, and of making new starts together. How are you investing in your personal community? How are you enabling your family to operate as an intentional community of shared purpose that supports the growth and the development of each member? These are perhaps the most rewarding investments we can each make. These three ideas for you. Become a lifelong learner, shape and lead change, and nurture your personal community of mutual help and support, and you will never be left without. One more thing, you can reach me directly by phone and on email to discover how we can help you and your team create your new future. See you next time. Music